Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NFL season, it's in its final leg. And look, you couldn't be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And don't forget, there's always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining the pod today. Let's talk some Southside. Let's talk some White Sox baseball. You know, the Bears season, it's going down the tubes. Looks like the Chicago Cubs are going to be getting rid of players. Blackhawks, Bulls, who knows what's happening. They're in rebuilding mode. But the one team in town right now that has its arrow pointing straight up in the air are the Chicago White Sox. So I want to bring it back in. Two of my great Chicago White Sox buddies and experts. First, he is the co-host of Good Guys Talk Back. It is Nick Morawski. How are you, Nick? Great, Joey. Uh, yeah, pretty active uh, winter meeting. Excited for this opportunity. Thanks for having me along. Yeah, and hopefully some more moves on the way. We've got a couple already in the till for the White Sox. Also joining us today on the pod, he is now the, again, the resurrected president of the Alex P. Keaton and Adam Eaton fan club. It's Pat Reedy. He's back. Oh, Eaton. I feel like I'm going to be eating at these winter meetings, baby, like Rick Hahn. Oh, baby. Let's get it going. First, the Tony LaRusso, Rene Russo fan club comes back. And now the Eaton and Keaton, things are going good for you. All good things. Fam any Family Ties reference is a great day for me, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> Let's hop right into it, you guys. The White Sox seem to be one of the more active teams heading into the offseason right now. There's a lot more moves to come. There's plenty of free agents. This is, seems to be an offseason in the Major League Baseball that's going to be different, unlike any other. But let's first talk about we want to get to Lance Lynn in a second, but I do want to get to Adam Eaton. That's the most recent news right now. Adam Eaton coming back to the White Sox in a one-year, $7 million deal. Guy that was traded to the Nationals. A fantastic trade, if I might add, uh, might say so myself. We get Giolito back in the deal. He goes off and wins the World Series. Now he's back on the south side. Nick, we're going to open it up to you. Adam Eaton, your first initial reactions to, I think, a bit of a surprise of him returning to the south side. It didn't move uh, the needle at all in terms of excitement, uh, and honestly. And I think I, I, I think it stems from a lot of the personal stuff that I've heard about Adam Eaton uh, over the years since he left. And again, I have no, no, nobody knows about some of that, but you tend to start trusting certain columnists, journalists, you know, radio personalities. And, and then you know, what Gian has said over the years about uh, Eaton, I'm worried about the clubhouse. Uh, the guy can play, you know, when, when, before we decided to tear this thing down in 2016, I was talking to some folks and I said, you know, I hope they kind of keep eating. I like him at the, uh, the front of the lineup. He gets on base. Uh, he can play right field. Uh, but I understand the reasons. And boy, we got, you know, what we got back was just unbelievable. Um, so again, if he can, if he is interested in platooning, which I think he's going to have to do, and you guys can speak more of this, then we're going to be fine. But if he's got an ego about him, and he's going to want a bulk of the play in right field, and he has a problem in the clubhouse, then I'm really concerned about it long term. Well, you know, for this year. Yeah, that's a great call. Stole the words right out of my mouth. Uh, when I first heard the deal, I thought the $7 million was a little rich. Personally, I kind of thought he was going to be the $4 million, $5 million guy. I kind of thought he was going to go to a team kind of on the rebuild like the Cubs you know, go somewhere, be their leadoff hitter, actually get those 400, 500 bats that you're talking about. The other thing that scared me, and I want to get your take on it, Pat, was in the tweet from Jeff Passan, it said, in line to be the everyday right fielder for the Chicago White Sox. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Pat, your thoughts on Adam Eaton coming back to the White Sox? And if he's the opening day starter and the everyday starter, do you, is there a cause for concern? Every, everyday starter cause for concern. Um, but you know, luckily Todd Frazier's gone, so there's no one to fight with every single day uh, of the year. Uh, and, you know, the thing with Todd Frazier back then, if you go back and look at those articles, which I did recently, there was kind of a leadership void on that squad. And Adam Eaton tried to do it when he didn't have the pedigree and he didn't have the resume. And so it rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way. Well, then he goes off, tears, uh, first year with the Nationals, tears his ACL and his meniscus. So maybe a little bit of a humbling experience there and then also plays and wins a World Series with them, kind of a resume booster. So hopefully life experience and time and 
you know, time humbles everybody, right? So maybe that plus picking up the World Series experience, also a World Series where he played his ass off and played pretty well. So hopefully he's not the everyday guy, but he brings back a little bit of pedigree and plays a little bit of that kind of Aussie small ball that we really liked in 05, um, which there's not a lot of guys on this team that can do that because we've got so many mashers. So maybe he brings that to the club and hopefully time has kind of, uh, uh, you know, humbled him a little bit more than he was back in the first stint. And not to keep judging at the past of those mediocre past White Sox teams, but Todd Frazier didn't have the batting average to fulfill that leadership role that season either. Nick, hop back in. Yeah, I, I agree, Pat. Those are good. Those are good points. And I think just recently, whether like maybe even today, uh, there was some information kind of coming out through Chicago news outlets that Kenny Williams or some other front office people didn't believe there was an ed enough edge with the 2020 uh, White Sox. There needed to be a little bit more attitude. Too much fun? And, yeah, yeah, maybe. A little bit, not enough buttoned-up shirts, uh, a little loose with the dress code. And, and the chains. And, and, and <laughs> too many to weight, weight down. Uh, and I think even Keuchel, Keuchel was interviewed uh, today, and he made mention of, you know, we're looking for just an edge. He brings, he brings a championship. And like Pat had said, he went away. Hopefully he matured a little bit. I don't know what those personal rifts were, but man, if he's interested in winning, this is the team to be on. So I'm excited for the depth. You always need depth on a 162, uh, you know, season. Yeah. Pat, hop back in. I also think this team is so good. You got a reigning MVP, uh, you got La Pantera in the center field. So it's not like he's going to be looking for any center field or outfielding advice from Eaton. You know, I think he's going to be able to find his place on this team and it's not going to be at the front of the line. It might be in the lineup, but not with the need for leadership or somebody who needs to talk. He can just shut up and do his job, which is the role you want for a Przinsky ish, which Adam Eaton can be, you, yeah. you know, don't mind him when he's your teammate, but you hate playing against him kind of guy. Right. Maybe this is the right role. And it's seven mil a little rich, but, not breaking the bank where they can't do other things in free agency, which we'll talk about later. And you're hitting yeah. on it right there. The right role, right? Where he needs to be not the answer or the solution, but just a piece. One of the pieces that can, yeah, as you said, either hit lead off, can get on a heater at the bottom of the lineup, turn that over a little bit. A guy that maybe does bring a little bit on the base pass, has his jersey dirty by the second inning. I'll admit there aren't a lot of guys on the team that are like that outside of, you know, maybe, I don't know, Tim Anderson, perhaps. You know, Luis Robert makes it so easy. He doesn't have to get his jersey dirty. But let's just stay here in the outfield. So now we've got Eloy, Luis Robert, Adam Engel, and let's, and let's just say Adam Eaton now in the mix. There's got to be another guy in there. They still have to work with the DH spot a little bit. I would really prefer a five-man outfield rotation. You know, you always want to plan for injuries. You want to have depth. You want to see how many games is Eloy going to hit at DH this year. What are they going to do in that spot? It seems like you hear the Kyle Schwarber, Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson's been rumored to the White Sox now for what? Is this the third annual Jock Peterson to the White Sox, perhaps festival that we're going to have this offseason? Out of those two players, Nick, Schwarber or Jock Peterson, do one of them kind of turn you on or is it a bit of a neither situation? You're looking in a different direction. Absolutely neither. Um, I feel like the love affair with Schwarber is because we as Sox fans saw what he did on the north side and we were exposed to that. It was shoved down our throat. If he played for Seattle or Baltimore or Pittsburgh, would we be that interested in Schwarber right now? You, I, you know, Joey, I would be really interested in hearing your perspective on Peterson. I don't see him regularly, him being out in LA. I don't know what the love affair is with Jack Peterson a 230 lifetime hitter. Brantley is my guy. Go after Brantley. He can play left field, and then you put Eloy at DH. He's going he's gonna to be costly, I, but I, hey, start spending some money right now, and he seems to be available still. And that's the curious part about Brantley's also been linked very heavily to the White Sox. What's interesting about that is he's 33, I believe, 33, 34 years old. Not so worried about the injuries because he's been healthy the last couple of years, and you can DH him like you mentioned. Dude, he is exactly what we need. You pair him in the three-hole and you hit a Abreu in the fourth or flip-flop him, you, now you have a veteran one-two punch that could perhaps be one of the best in the American League. I'm curious, though. It is still the White Sox. I know Brantley probably wants that third year on his deal, maybe even that fourth year on his deal. I bet you the White Sox are probably like, hey, we'll give you two. Let's talk, talk club option for that third year, maybe player option for the third, club option for the fourth so they can get out of that money. 
and he's probably going to command at least 15, 16, 17. The Jacques Peterson thing, I'm not on the Jacques Peterson thing at all. He is the guy who had all the potential, can play center field, great. Left-handed hitter, left-handed power hitter, something that the White Sox need, checks those boxes, right? But here's the problem. Never reached that potential. He's such a streaky hitter. You literally have to kind of guess, like with one eye, which hot streak he's going to be on. Like, you can't really sort of peg out when those 10 games are going to come out of nowhere. And it's just sort of the guy that he's had some big home runs and playoff games, but him and Schwarber, it's basically more like you're signing a Nomar Mazzara. I'm not even joking. I know they're different types of players, but left-handed power hitter, career high in RBIs, what, maybe 90, 25 to 30 bombs, not a great average. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like Nomar Mazzara. It sounds like those other two guys. Pat, what do you, how would you feel about it? I mean, obviously, Brantley is the jewel. Peterson and Schwarber, are you, I mean, are you as lukewarm on them as we are? Yeah, Peterson and Schwarber, I mean, uh, I don't want to see Schwarber near an outfield. I, I would only want him as a DH. So, therefore, I think he's out of this discussion for that fifth outfielder because um, I really don't want to watch him play outfield ever again for as long as I live. He's horrible. Um, also, a guy that hits 230 and has power. I've seen that show before with Adam Dunn. It's horrible. I don't want to go near it again. It scares me. Uh, the Brantley thing I like, but is Han so smart because we know he is, is he going to want to, you know, the guy's going to be 34 next year. So you're going to pay him till he's 36 or 37. And then that looks a little bit worse for me when you're hitting the prime of a lot of these guys that are going to be young and on the team now, you know, then does that make him a DH uh, later on in that contract probably does. So that's not the outfield help that you're looking for. So I, I don't know what the answer is. Brantley's probably it also proved himself in a world series. I like that as well. Um, hitting 320 in that world series too. So, you know, uh, he might be the closest thing to answer, but will Han pay the price on numbers that he knows are probably going to be dwindling? And I think it's clear they are going to have to make a move. Adam Eaton, his splits last year, I mean, he had an injury-plagued year, didn't play great, but I believe he hit 103 against lefties last year, traditionally against lefties. You know, always tough for a left-handed hitter, but, you know, always in the 240-250 range. So not necessarily a guy that you can just plug in there every single day and get it out there. I'm trying to, like, pull up some guys real quick. In terms of outfielders, the options honestly aren't very great. I mean, you've got guys like – I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. is – you know, I don't think he's a solution. It doesn't look like we're going to pay $100 million to George Springer because we've never paid a player ever $100 million in the White Sox organization. And then other than that, you know, you're kind of looking at guys like Nick Markakis, Josh Reddick, you know, Yasiel Puig. We could have rolled the dice on him. We didn't. So, clearly, that's not going to happen this year. You know, so – there's a couple areas there. If it isn't the Jacques Schwarber, Michael Brantley thing, my question for you, Nick, moving forward is how do you feel about the infield? And let's talk specifically about second base. Now, I love Nick Madrigal. I really do. But with Moncada and his issues last year, Tim Anderson, you know, he, he's a hamstring every once in a while, can kind of come up lame. We had Lurie Garcia last year. Are you feeling good about the infield? Because there's actually more depth in free agency on the infield this year than there probably is in the outfield. I'm happy with, with infield. I really am. Um, I think Madrigal is going to be just fine. I'm excited for him. Uh, I think he's, he made some costly mistakes, but he's a smart enough dude that he's going to figure that out. Um, Abreu's not giving up first time, first base anytime soon. His defense has gotten better. I can't believe he wasn't in the gold glove conversation um, you know, Mankata, you know, I, again, I don't know what the effects are of, you know, the COVID hangover. I'm, I'm hoping he is going to be ready to go by spring training, but even, even with that COVID hangover, Mankata was a beast at third and, and, and was in that gold glove conversation. Anderson, you know, he's gotten better defensively, but you know, the bar was pretty low. So anything, you know, I, I'm hoping he continues to work on that. Um, I'm fine with, with infield. And then if they keep Larry Garcia around, he can get plugged in a different spot. I think Danny Mendick could be a, an option as well. And then Berger, you know, you, you keep hearing this is the Jake Berger's back. He lost some weight. He's finally healthy. I hope he is, man. I feel for the guy. I can't imagine a guy that was drafted in the first round and, and the injuries that he's gone through. Where are you going to put him, you know, if he can be move out of the third base? Can he play a little first base? I don't know, but I do feel good about the infield. Absolutely feel fine with this outfield. And really, the Tim Anderson stuff has been tough to watch for the last, you know, couple of years. But his bat makes up for so much of it for me now, where – 
before when he wasn't batting like he was, it was like, geez, this guy is killing me. But if he's going to swing it like he's been swinging it the last two seasons, honestly, I'm willing to look the other way on some of the stuff uh, from him. Yeah, and that's and it's a question that I, I kind of knew the answer to, but I want to hear what you guys thought of because I like Danny Mendick a whole lot. We've talked about him on the Sox pod a whole lot this year. And Lurie Garcia, who had injuries last year, can always kind of still be in the mix a little bit. I think he's a great plug-and-play guy off the bench. So you're kind of still looking at that outfield. Real quick before, I want to get over to the pitching in a second, but uh, Nick, do you think Andrew Vaughn cracks the team in 2021? And is there a spot for him? Because I'm really curious to see what they do at DH where – I would like to see them turn it into a rotational situation at DH where you get Eloy a day, you get Abreu a day, you get Grandal a day, you kind of move it around. But obviously Edwin Encarnacion kind of got in the way of that. What do you see from Andrew Vaughn this year? Look, if 2021 is World Series or bust, like their hitting coach Frank Menachino said, do you really start the season with a guy that has zero major league baseball at bats as your DH or your platoon first baseman? I say no. And, and I think that also goes for Kopech. We'll get to that in a second, but Vaughn specifically, I mean, no man, no minor league uh, last year hurt him, hurt him really bad. And he's going to need some at bats from what I understand, you know, the powers there and, you know, his swing is great and he should make the transition, but, you know, not not on a team that this is the year. No, he's got a he, – he, it's going to be a little bit of a ascent for him. And if that's the case, Pat, do you think it could be a situation where maybe we do a little bit of a floating situation because that's what teams do. They keep, they keep floating guys around, and then around the trade deadline, you kind of go in and then you lock in your lineup. What do you think? I think you have to go more that way. If we are talking about – I can't tell you the amount of articles out there right now that are talking about the White Sox may be able to solve their DH problem – by bringing in Vaughn. That is madness. I mean, how many World Series winners have a rookie DH that never played in the majors before that season? It doesn't work. You need a major solid bat in that slot, and it's not this kid, and it's not his fault. Like Nick said, he hasn't had the opportunity yet, and he will get that time. Bringing him up for a little bit of time, letting him have some run at DH for a couple of games, maybe, but I'm not going into the playoff push with a rookie at DH. It's just, if we're talking about that, there's been some major injury troubles, and we are in trouble moving into the postseason. And what's been encouraging so far this offseason is it doesn't look like they're going in that direction, right? It doesn't look like 2021. It's, hey, let's just keep bringing the kids up. Let's keep you know, flourishing and progressing, and let's see what happens. It looks like they're kind of priming themselves to load up a little bit, which brings us over to the pitching staff. Pat, you're going to go first on this one. The Lance Lynn news kind of came out of nowhere. Had a hard time wrapping my head around it at first, but when you start to kind of look at it, it feels to me a little bit like a, an even trade. We get some value by winning, a, getting a guy that can win right now. They get Dane Dunning, a dude that we like to a lot, who, hey, if we don't remember correctly, because Ricky Renteria made it hard for us to remember, he started a playoff game, and now we have Lance Lynn for only $8 million for one year next year, a deal that we can get out of. What's your thought on Lance Lynn? So Dunning, too, also started that game as a decoy we later found out, right? And so that tells you what the White Sox thought of that guy, which is not a shocker that they unloaded him. It was not a sexy trade to pick up Lynn, but then I was looking at tweets and it's your 2020 AL Cy Young voting, Keiko was fifth, Lynn was sixth, Giolito was seventh. So three of the top seven guys on your starting rotation, that should get White Sox fans excited and it does for me too. Um, Lynn is a workhorse it's, they say it over and over again. That's exciting. I also think he looks like a David Wells body type guy. He, he looks like <laughs> someone who White Sox fans are going to be able to get behind. He looks like a lot of downstate Illinois White Sox fans to me. Like, this is a guy who I think people are going to look at him and go like, oh, yeah, my uncle looks like that. Like, he's going to have some Sox <laughs> fan appeal while yeah. he throws 200 innings and, you know, is solid as hell. Yeah, if you were driving home from, like, guaranteed rate and you had a leak underneath your car and you stopped at a mechanic's shop a couple blocks away, he'd probably pull out, and he'd be also working there, too, as well. Nick, he's 33 years old. Typically, I'll be honest with you, when Lance Lynn is on the slate and you're going up against him, you do feel like that you can beat this guy, but typically then he goes out and beats you. The last couple years, his fastball has been actually rising. I believe it was 94.9 on average. Your thoughts on Lynn now on the White Sox? I mean, it's a, it's a win-now move. Uh, this move could have been made at the tread, trade deadline this past year. He was linked to the Sox. The price would have been 
much higher. We probably would have had to give up Kopech, maybe even Vaughn. Um, it's a shame because he would have started, you know, that game three and we would have probably won. And a lot of these things don't happen. Ricky probably retains his job. I mean, we can, you know, play that game. Love the Lance Lynn move. I, hey, I was high on Dunning in the few starts that he had. He has potential. And if you are a Texas Rangers fan, you are so excited. You know, Lynn couldn't get you to where you were because you're not there yet. So you get to ride Dunning and Dunning could be a leader on that staff. Lynn is win now, and he's going to log you 200 innings. He's got, he, he just, he, he was on the radio. Yeah, he was on 670 uh, yesterday, the score. Smart dude, knows what he's doing, no frills. Um, I like his mindset, and he is going to fit really well into this staff. You know, again, if this was 2018, 2019, you keep Dunning. You keep, but you, you have to give something to get something. And we're finally, you know, Hans said this years ago, not all these prospects are going to see success with the White Sox. And that's just part of the game. And I thought the Sox played it really well. And I am looking forward to that one, two, three, three-headed monster right now. And some people might criticize the deal and be like, well, if you're going to trade a guy, a guy like Dane Dunning with this bright future, you're going to want more years on Lynn's deal. And I completely disagree with that. I love the fact that it is just one year, $8 million. If he's hurt, we can get out of it the next year. If he isn't great, we don't have to lament and be like, oh man, we really screwed this up and now we're stuck with him. We can move on from him. And he's 34 years old. If he has an amazing season and he loves it here, we can always work on a team-friendly situation. Or you just go back in and you use your free agency dollars again. Pat, hop in. Look what we're talking about with the two moves that Han made too. We're talking about $15 million total. So you leave yourself open to a Brantley. You leave yourself open to the possibility of picking up, uh, hopefully, uh, a, a Hendricks, a somebody else. You, you leave yourself open to those possibilities. The other thing about Lynn that stuck out to me was he was second in war among pitchers in 2019 and third in 2020. This is not a sexy pick, but this dude throws up stats and will eat innings for you and something that we didn't have from our third uh, person in the rotation for all of last year. The question now is, we briefly touched upon him. Let's talk Kopech for just a second. We're just speculating. We don't know a lot. People are saying that he's throwing, he's feeling good, looking good, ready to roll. Seems like he looks like he's on track to come back in 2021. Nick, if you were in Rick Hahn's situation right now, in his seat with the GM hat on, would you be still looking around for those fringe starting rotation guys? Or are you putting all your chips into the Kopech basket? I, I'm not putting very many chips into Kopech at all. I mean, no, nothing against Kopech. We just don't know what we have yet. And it's been three years. Uh, yes, I've heard some positive things about the where he's at mentally, physically. Looking forward to him showing it off in Arizona. Um, I've got Giolito. I've got Keuchel. I've got Lynn. I'm I'm with Cease. Cease is going to stick around. I think Cap he, des he deserves a shot, right? Like it deserves a shot. Yeah. yeah. Lopez and Kopech are extreme question marks. I'm still pining for another starter. And Quintana could be that guy that you put in as a fifth starter. I'm okay with Quintana as my fifth starter because I don't – I'm still not sure on Lopez. And I got to give Kopech some time here. Like I can't say, all right, kid, opening day, man, you're on the team. I, that could happen. But we don't have enough to really determine that. Pat, I'm going to throw the same question to you. Just a couple of names that are out there, guys that might be looking at some one-year deals and some prove-it situations. As you mentioned, Jose Quintana, a guy like Alex Wood, a guy like Adam Wainwright, Michael Walker, James Paxton. I said a couple months ago, Jake Arrieta is interesting to me because you can get him dirt cheap. He can pitch you into the fifth inning. He's going to be a veteran and give you an honest effort. He's a five-starter. No more, no less. I'm not – building him up to be the dude that was on the, the Cubs in 2015. You know, out of those names are Jose Quintana. Are you buying in on Kopech being that fifth guy in the rotation, or would you like to see them kind of shop and look for more? I, I would like to see him shop and look for more. I'm with Nick on the Kopech thing. He's just not done enough to have any kind of strong opinion on, really, at the major league level. It's just not there. I like not uh, like the Lance Lynn type of the really smart, like Nick was saying, older pitcher. I, I don't mind a Quintana. I would not mind that at all. Um, people like a Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs type where it was just an older guy knows how to get it done, not electric stuff, but you know, you're going to get into the fifth and you're not going to be screwed. And that's what I want from my back end of the rotation. 
And honestly, that kind of sounds like Adam Wainwright. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Truly, like yes. a dude that is – when his curveball's going, on that fifth day, he takes on the other team's fifth starter, and he can actually dominate, and he can give up three or four runs. And with this White Sox offense, he can still be okay. Before uh, we get to the bullpen, and we're going to pivot, and I'm going to set it up like this. Pat, we're going to go to you first. What is your role, provided he's healthy? It seems like he is healthy for Garrett Crochet next year. You know what? He's a guy that I had written down a little bit. I, again, similarly to the Vaughn thing, where can you completely depend on, you know, he did have, what, six appearances last year, but still I would consider him a rookie. Is that going to be your closer? I mean, Jenks did it for us in a little bit. Um, you know, a very young guy who could lead you through the postseason, but we didn't start off that year with Jenks having to have a heavy workload. So, does a guy like Crochet with the way that he throws, can we see a whole season of him? I can't depend on that either. So I'm really excited about him. I have some stuff on him for later of one of the guys that I'm really looking forward to the most. Um, but I need something else. And is that a Liam Hendricks? That'd be fine by me. Some of the best eyebrows in the league, big and bushy, let him ride. Uh, I, I would like him to go that way myself. If you're going to spend some money, I don't mind people spending money on proven closers. Big and bushy, put them together, separate them, doesn't matter. They can stand on their own, and they can join and turn into a forehead empire, if, if so Great necessary. Time. Nick, let me Great phrase time. it to you like this then. Looking at Garrett Crochet as a guy that can be a closer in 2021, are you giving Alex Colomay that multi-year deal at top dollar, which guess what? He's earned. He's earned top dollar. Or are you looking at a lot of these guys? There are tons of non-tendered closers. There are some big names from – the 2017-2018 season of guys that are going to be out in the street looking for deals. Just throw a couple out there. Kirby Yates, Brad Hand, Archie Bradley, Hendricks, as you mentioned, Ken Giles, Mark Melanson, Sean Doolittle, Blake Trinan. All of them the last three or four seasons have had, you know, elite years as closers. You know, how are you going to be attacking that position if, if you were uh, Rick Hahn in the offseason? It's a tough position. The shelf life is ridiculously small. Um, you know, you want to say, yeah, Colome, look what you've done the last couple of years. You've been stable for us, but you never know when that switch is going to be turned off with a closer. Um, I, I'm still listening to Colome's people. I'm, I'm seeing where he's at. I'm gauging. But I love the reports, like what Pat was saying about Hendricks. What I'm hearing uh, that they're that interested in him and looking at his numbers and we Saw a bit of that in the divisional series against Oakland. He is a power pitcher. He doesn't mess around. He brings some attitude. And Crochet is going to be valuable to us. Don't rush it. I, he, I look at him almost like an Andrew Miller type of guy. Of he's going to get you to that lights-out closer. He might be there eventually. Crochet might be there. But, boy, if you could bring in a veteran, a proven guy like Hendricks, and then say – Look at look what we've got here. Hoyer, Fry, Marshall, Bummer. I mean, crochet. It's scary when you think about it. So Lance Lynn can eat all the innings he wants, but he doesn't need to because we've got a rock-solid bullpen. And I think that's the way to go, right, where crochet can just seriously become pick the most important inning of any game, depending on what's happening in that moment. Maybe it actually is that sixth inning and the left-hander comes up and you need him to get an out. Okay, that's great. You still got Bummer, as you mentioned. You still got Fry. You still got all those guys in the back end. You still got Marshall. Maybe it is that eighth inning. Maybe he does close every once in a while after the closers had three days in a row. Colomay to me is just, unfortunately, he pitched so well last year. His numbers look way too good. I feel like he's priced himself out of probably where the White Sox are based on what their you know tendency is to commit to players. And honestly, probably the money that they should commit to a closer because I think he's you know, what, 12 million, 13 million plus. Pat, hop in first and then Nick. Well, it is scary there too, because of, like Nick said, the shelf life of a guy like Colome, and we saw what he did in Tampa Bay with, and then now here, how many more years of that are you going to get? And now I, I don't want it just to be, he's gone and that's all we get because does a uh, bullpen by committee look good? Yeah. And it's a lot of world series winners in the last five years have been able to do it without a big name. Um, but without a Hendricks, then we're just with a Bummer and Marshall. Is that what you want to go into the playoffs with? Just those two guys uh, really kind of leading the charge? I don't think that would do it for me. Yeah, and you still have Cordero, too, as well, which Ricky Renteria <laughs> seemed to pitch every single game sure. last season. Nick, hop, hop back in. I, I think with, with a closer, and maybe with a lot of players, but closers specifically, the temptation is one to pay for their past. 
instead of paying for their potential? Like, what else do you have left for me that I can get out of you? Because you want to reward them, but you have to be very, very disciplined and careful of like, well, then I'll just give you some kind of weird bonus and a watch or something for what you did to me previously. But I need, you know, we're, we're looking at the future here and I see a brighter future for Hendrix right now. Nothing, taking nothing away from what Colome did. I bet you he still has a little bit more in the tank, but I am worried about that shelf life. And that's why I'm leaning more towards a guy like Hendrick. Spend the money. They have it. Yeah, great pitcher. It just kind of sucks. What, his ERA was under one, I think, wasn't it? Like .93 last year. And let's be real, we watched all those games. Those weren't exactly like clean, pristine, crisp ninth innings. You know what I mean? The whip and the fip tell a little bit of a different story than the ERA. And I just think, you know, credit to him. I I just think the dude's going to get paid. You know, the New York Mets are thirsty right now. You know, there's a lot of teams out there that I think are willing to throw that type of cash around to a closer. It just might not happen, you know, on the south side. And it's not because we don't like Alex Colomay as a player. It just has more to do with constraints of finances. So let's move on. Let's look forward a little bit to 2021. They're going to be making some more deals, some more players coming in. But let's talk about some guys that are already on the roster. Pat, let's start with you. You know, what are you, which player are you most looking forward to watching next year and maybe let's also frame it as maybe it can also be a guy that you think you know is going to bounce back or maybe even take another step forward with so so many young uh, fantastic players on the team you just hit on it right there and we touched on him a little bit before but my 6'6 lefty Garrett Crochet he's my guy we had such a small sample size now it was tantalizing every last minute of it was you had to be sitting in front of your TV to watch it. There was no missing an inning where he was going to be involved. He saw 22 batters, had eight strikeouts, uh, was averaging 12 Ks per nine. That's exciting stuff. It's stuff that you want to see, but it's a very small sample size. He's a big cat. Can he go an entire season without um, hurting himself? We saw him leave that game three against the A's uh, with, you know, what they said wasn't, um, you know, a major injury that, but people were, there were whispers already about, Tommy John, is this a Tommy John issue? Is this going to be, you know, a surgery that's going to be needed for him with the way that he throws? So that scares you. But overall, I, I got to see this guy pitch more. It was electric and exciting as hell. Follow up to that real quick. On our text chain during the season, was it Crochet and Luis Robert? Which one was more fun to text about? Because I feel like that we would use caps and exclamation points and jokes probably more with those two guys. Uh, than any other player on the team. Am I, am I wrong? Or, you know, who would you give it to? Was it the Cratchit Rocket or was it uh, La Pantera? I think La Pantera just because of how long we had to text about him, right? Comparatively. <laughs> but my God, the Cratchit Rocket, my Lord, let's go. I want to see that dude pitch. It's, he's the absolute guy I'm the most excited about heading into spring training. Nick, who's the player that you're most excited about seeing in 2021? A guy that you think is either going to bounce back or take a huge step forward from last year? Uh, I, I have a couple. Uh, crotch was just fun to the wardrobe situation with crotch and the, the jersey, the sleeve lengths. Uh, they just threw him a jersey. They crammed him into a jersey. Uh, Robert, for sure, was we I think we shared more moments with Robert. Uh, you know, he, and he's an easy answer to talk about. I'd love to see what his encore is. But uh, two guys I'm really going to be looking at um, without McCann. I'm looking at Grundell to really bounce back. And, and you know, he's the guy. He is now the man. He doesn't have a guy that kind of is going to be outperforming him a little bit. You know, there, you know, I McCann, you know, was there was a there was definitely a fan base to get him as a starting a, a catcher. It's all Grandal. And he what he did, you know, in the A series, it's him it, offensively and I think defensively. Uh, I am really looking forward to seeing what Madrid can do for a whole season. Um, that sample size we saw. And he gets a lot for his height and his, you know, his lack of power, man, he is going to be solid. I just have the feeling and I want to, and I really am curious to see how he can manage 162 games. You know, when Madrigal was coming up, you're reading things about him and they're talking about his stick and how he always gets on base and he just got all these hits and this little guy and you're like, all right, well, but how does he do it? And then when you start watching him, how much fun is it just watching the myriads of different ways that the dude would get base hits? I mean, he literally, when, he, when we say use all of the field, he literally does use all of the field. Because if it wasn't like squibbers or two hoppers, it was these bouncers or these line drives or these loops, you know what I mean? He did it in so many different ways. He's really, really fun to watch. 
He's also a guy too that rem- it's a little bit of Steph Curry ness, where people love Steph Curry because fans can see a little bit of themselves in him. It's like he's not six nine; he's a, you know six three guy that looks like someone you probably played against at a YMCA or some open gym at some point. Nick Magical looks like a guy you, you played Little League with. He's short as hell, and he's just scrappy. He's a, you know, I, I've said before in another pod, he's like a Wes Welker type, where it's just like, how is he playing a professional sport? But then he goes out there and kicks everybody's ass. That's what he reminds me of. He's a small guy, small stature, but carries a big stick, and I, I'm with Nick. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, and to have him at the bottom of the lineup, I think, is such an interesting advantage that a lot of other American League teams are not going to have next year. Nick, hop in. Just one, one last thing. I, I, I think about that 2005 team. You have to think about the 2005 team. And he has a little bit of a Gucci, you know, like nothing. There, there, he, he would pop one off a Gucci, but, I mean, he just knew his place. He knew to make contact. He knew to move runners along. And you have to have those types of guys that – you cannot strike out. They will put the ball in place somehow. It's not going to be power all the way up and down. It's just not. And Madrigal gives you that that weird intangible that is going to cause pitching staffs nightmares. The two guys that I'm looking at are, one is the bounce back. And I'm looking at, it's pretty obvious, but Yon Mankata. I think, and it's crazy because there's so many choices on this team, but it's probably between Eloy and Mankata. I think he, those are the two most perhaps pure talented offensive hitters that we have on our team. We've seen glimpses of it from Makata in the past. You know, when the guy catches a hold of one, you know, his exit velocity, his line drivability is completely off the charts. You know, I guess we'll never really understand, you know, he, he did, uh, he did suffer from COVID last year. He came back and said that he wasn't feeling great. Really interested to see if he can bounce back and, you know, become that type of hitter, you know, that Robinson Cano type of hitter. Honestly, I think he has that type of ceiling and it's sort of like going underneath the radar right now because they didn't even need him last year on such a talented team. If he all of a sudden plays up to his capability, you know, all of a sudden it's a holy shit lookout situation. It's an Astros type of lineup from years past. And then the other guy, it's crazy, but it just reminds me of the conversations that we had during the season and the preseason last year. I'm going with Tim Anderson again because what's so interesting about him is that what, what were we saying last year? It's like the guy hit, what, 335. And we were like, look, probably a little bit of regression. That's okay. If he hits 290, no big deal. Still a good player. Tim Anderson got better last year. And now I'm almost at the point now where it is a borderline sky's the limit situation. I'm not saying he's going to turn into Mike Trout, but I'm, I mean, it's getting the point where watching this guy at bat after at bat, He's a guy that doesn't walk a whole lot, but there's nothing that you can really get by him. You know, there was a stretch where I think five or six games in a row, he had a hard time. You know, he kind of got mixed up at the plate, kind of had a bad plan for just a couple of games, but he was able to turn it around. And there's just little that you can get past this dude. He turns on the fastball. He's on top of the curveball. You know, he's turning on everything. He can go the opposite field. Everything that he hits is a line drive. And at this point now, it's not even a show me situation. Now I'm just excited to see how high Tim Anderson can go. And I truly think that there might even be more in his game. And that is just so incredible and exciting to watch. Yeah, I I would say that he has now become, you know, the face of the team. You know, when they advertise in terms of marketing for like the Field of Dream games, it's like there he is on that poster with Aaron Judge. I mean, you he's put himself as a guy like you have to watch. You've got the reigning MVP. You've got Robert. You've got Aloy. And then, oh, yeah, here's this guy that's like always in the conversation for AL batting title and probably could be coming up there with an MVP conversation eventually. And like you had mentioned, Mankata Anderson, I, he's this, he hasn't hit his ceiling yet and he'll tell it to you. And I love that about him. He's got that confidence. And it's incredible. I mean, I, you know, shut my mouth. I, I honestly thought that 335 was a little bit of ahead of his skis and I thought he was a really good player, you know, all-star type player, but he never, I thought he could maybe come back to earth a little bit and no, he, his, his game just continues to elevate to other levels. Pat, we're going to throw this one over to you. We're going to get this one started. Now, keep in mind, Sox fans, this isn't us saying that we think a player is going to have a bad year or think a guy isn't any good. But I think this is more about tempering expectations and saying to yourself, you know, hey, this guy had such a great year last year. If it doesn't exactly look the exact same in 2021, it doesn't mean that he's changed. It just means that there's a slight regression. You know, a couple guys had some career years. Pat, who are you looking at that if a guy took a, maybe a small step back, you wouldn't be surprised? 
And this is not even a guy who had an unbelievable year, but Eloy is that guy for me. He worries me just from a maturity standpoint. Uh, we got to see his maturity level a little bit through the stuff that he would do, jumping into the, you know, uh, into the netting and everything else and possibly getting himself hurt. That makes me wonder, well, how mature are you in your offseason? How seriously are you taking your offseason approach? If I had to guess only because of what I've seen on the field, I would guess he's not taking it super seriously. Now, I'd love to be proven wrong by that um, during the course of this next season. But he worries me um, a little bit, and I'm worried that, you know, the guy is, you know, this team has become the exit velocity all-stars, right? Um, but just because of that, it doesn't mean that uh, I'm super confident on him this year. I'm not, and I'm a little bit worried. And is it fair to say when you talk about the narrative of old guy Tony Larusa and his old crotchety ways and his and the way that he likes to no fun, all business all the time, you immediately look at Eloy, right, Pat? I mean, you're immediately like, can this, guy, can this guy flourish in that environment? It had to be the one A of your thoughts. The fact that Larusa and Tim Anderson didn't talk for a very long time that worried me the most. Now that seems to be smoothed over a little bit, but absolutely, how is this team gonna mesh with Larusa? And Eloy is a very talented dude, like we talked about. But does he have that maturity level that Larusa is going to be looking for? And is it going to put him on the bench? I don't know. And that's a great point about what you're bringing up Tim Anderson too. I actually liked that a whole lot. That. Tim Anderson was not only vocal in public about how he hadn't talked to me yet, but like kind of be like, Hey man, you reach out to me. This is kind of my team. You know, I don't think Abreu cares. I think he's a little bit more happy go lucky. You know, he just wants to go out there and play. But Tim Anderson, as you mentioned, Nick is the face. I really liked that. He was kind of like, Hey man, you know, Larissa, you got to kind of come in and you got to convince us a little bit. Mm -hmm. We're not going to bow down to your rings from eight years ago or your ring with the A's 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he is a hall of famer baseball person. Don't get me wrong. I mean, which we absolutely admire, but Nick, I want to ask you if there's one player on the white Sox that might take a small step back, a little bit of regression, you know, what, what can we kind of, as white Sox fans begin to maybe prepare ourselves with that player? I mean, I got, I got two players. I, I do also want to hit uh Pat's Eloy point. It's a great point. I mean, you're only valuable to us, Eloy, if you're on the field. And, and well, I should say, if you're in the lineup. And what's causing him not Because to on be, the field, he got hurt on the field after a post-game right. celebration. So I'm glad that you cleaned that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, what is happening with him, it, it, we're all of the age where, you know, we were around, you know, when Jimmy, uh, Jim McMahon was, was playing. And he, that's a dude that just, he did not take care of himself. On, on the field and probably off the field. And he took a lot of risks. And that's what I worry about, you know, Aloy is like, it doesn't seem like he has got a plan on how he tracks baseballs uh, and his awareness of space. I hope that improves, but that's where I could see, yeah, there can be a continued regression a little bit. If you get hurt, we, we can't use your bat. Um, two guys that, uh, you know, naturally, I just think Abreu is going to regress. You, you're at MVP. <sighs> I don't see him repeating MVP. He will put another solid season together, but we had, can't lean on him as like, okay, we need the MVP machine. I think there's going to be other players that are going to have to step up a little bit. Like he got his MVP, and now I could see him really trying to build people and be a supporting, uh, a supporting guy. I also worried about Giolito. No McCann, who was his go-to pitcher, mm -hmm. I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen with Giolito. Yes, we've got his pitching coach, Ethan Katz, is here, so maybe there won't be that much of a regression. But let's really see how important McCann was to him. That concerns me a little bit. Ooh, that's a great call. And in regards to Abreu, I mean, I think it's obvious. What did he? I think he averaged over an RBI a game last year. What do you have? Sixty-six RBIs, I think, in yeah. sixty games, if I'm not correct. So I don't think he's going to get one seventy next year. So that's very fair to think that he takes a step back. That's a great call on Giolito, Nick. I didn't even really. That didn't even really hit me, but for some guys, you know, that camaraderie and that chemistry between a, a battery mate and a pitcher can really go a long way, especially for a guy like Giolito who began his career, had some rough, had some, a rough season with the White Sox, had to kind of remake not just his body in terms of diet and exercise, but in terms of his delivery, and he finally found something that clicked. It's happened for about a season and a half, and now you're kind of changing it up on him. That's a really curious thing to kind of watch, especially when you're expecting him, I think, to take a step forward and to be that ace in 2021. My guy is probably Dallas Keuchel. Just the numbers, 
the peripherals. I mean, what did he, I think he started the season, you know, he started the season with an ERA that was just microscopic and it sort of stayed that way throughout the year. I just think he's a guy that's maybe a little bit closer to the three, three and a half ERA mark. Still a guy that's going to eat a lot of innings, but I still think we're going to maybe see a couple more bumpy starts than we probably did in that 60 game stretch last year. And I do really like the acquisition of Lynn because now it's a situation where Kaiko can be that number three. He can be that number four. Now there isn't all that pressure on him to necessarily lead a rotation each year that you get older, you know, his stuff, you know, his fastball velocity isn't going up. Lynn's is Keiko's is not. So I like him a little bit further back in that part of that rotation. Gentlemen, we're going to get you guys out of here on this. This is going to seem obvious, but maybe we can get a little specific about it. Nick, you're going to go first on this one. It's the holiday season. So give me one Christmas wish for your Chicago White Sox this year. Uh, this come this upcoming season, I want them to retire Ozzie Gian's jersey, number thirteen. Cool, uh, that, I that's love what this. I want to see them do uh, as a as a fan base. I, I I want them to shore up pitching. If my wish, you know, hey, we all stay healthy. You know, we have a good Arizona. You know, the chemistry solid. Um, there's no drama. I, I want them to be, you know, just busting with pitching. And if, maybe if that's Quintana with with a fifth, my dream is Bauer. I think Bauer on the staff, but you know, Reinsdorf team, it's not, they're not going to spend that for Bauer. They're not going to spend that on pitching, but you know, they're in the right direction. It's just keep focusing on pitching for this team um, because I love where they're at right now. And as if we found out anything, you can't have enough pitching. Pat, one Christmas wish for the Chicago White Sox this season. You know, I don't, I don't know if this can come true, but every time Larusa goes to the mound to take a pitcher out, I want them to play police sirens and then a police officer to make him walk the third base line to prove that he's sober. Uh, but if I can't get that, and then like a little want... like the police don't stand so close to me or something, correct, like, correct, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. I like that. Uh, but knowing Tony, he might try to snort the line. I, I just think that uh, if we can go into the playoffs healthy, that's all I care about now is just health. We have these pieces. Uh, even if Han has to stay pat, I feel like, you know, we can find a way to piece things together. I just want health for these guys going into a, 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 what can be hopefully a long playoff run. That would be my Christmas gift. My Christmas wish, and I think all of us are like, hey, win the World Series and stuff, but we're trying to go a little micro on this. I'm going to call my Christmas wish return on investment, and I'm looking at Michael Kopech. If we, lest we forget, Mankata and Kopik were the, the darling uh, pieces in the Chris Sale trade. You know, Chris Sale, I, you know, it, it's just funny, you know what I mean? When you trade a guy like Chris Sale, you get a lot of pieces back, but then you're always going to be working towards finding the next Chris Sale. And that's the problem, and that's the rub with dealing a guy like that. Obviously, we're years removed from that now, but Michael Kopik, man, it can change so many things and it can literally change so many things about what we're talking about right now in terms of, you know, Giolito, if he takes a step back, if Kopech shows up and he is a bit of that phenom, that Syndergaard ish type starter, all of a sudden the glare and the pressure on guys like Giolito or Keiko to be as good as they were last year, isn't as prevalent. It also changes the situation where if you go into the deadline, you know, near the white Sox, instead of like selling the farm to go get out the hot starting pitcher, who's having a great season that year, you can be a little more frugal, find some pieces like that bench guy that you really need. You know what I mean? That rotation DH guy, that rotation outfielder, uh, shore up your bullpen, maybe find that six starter a little bit, the guy that can be a swing man. You can do those stuff that's a little bit more creative that isn't going to make the big headlines, but instead you're not selling the farm. And in terms of like Kopech, man, if you just start, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not saying he's going to be the number one starter, but if you walk into a playoff series, a, a seven-game playoff series with Giolito, Keuchel, uh, Lynn, and Kopech. I mean, rock and roll, man. This is getting close to the, you know, that 2005-2016 where you start lining those guys up. couple young guys, couple veterans. Mm -hmm. Let's go. You know, that is just my Christmas wish. Yeah. Um, and the other part, too, is that just this last season, I respect him for not playing. We've talked about this before, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But it's still – his absence was weird, right? Mm -hmm. a little weird uh young man really hasn't done anything in the game yet uh you want to see him out there on the field and he was the crown jewel of the chris sale trade and i would just love nothing more than Moncada and Kopech to be a huge part of this 2021 team that's uh i mean yeah that i think going back those are 
man, those are great ideas. And I, I wish that too. I think that's why we have to just kind of calm down a little bit as fans with Kopech because where was he last year? And he has, you know, he doesn't have to tell us anything. You know, it's personal. He's going through some stuff. If he would like to expound, I think fans and everybody would feel a little bit a little easier if he, he gave some ideas. But those are the types of things that I'm just, yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I hope that everything trends in the right direction for him because he could be such a wild card and a monster come, you know, September. Gentlemen, really great to talk to you guys. The White Sox offseason, it's already in full swing. They brought in Adam Eaton. They brought in Lance Lynn. Guess what, White Sox fans? There's more moves coming, more additions coming on the team. And this team's going to be ready to rock and roll. Chicago better be ready because this might be the new team to keep an eye on in 2021, you know, per comparison to all the other organizations going on right now in the greater Chicagoland area. Nick Morawski and Pat Reedy, guys, thank you so much for joining the show. You guys, make sure you check out Nick Morawski's pod. Good guys talk back. Fantastic. They had an episode come out a couple days ago. They're still bringing you all that great White Sox analysis on the regulars, so make sure you check that out. This is Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode was brought to you by betonline.ag. I mean, if you got disposable cash, you just like lighting money on fire, you can get in on betonline.ag and bet on the Bears this weekend against the Texans. Week 14 football right around the corner. But otherwise, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got tons more. We got great guests coming up in the next two weeks before the Christmas holidays. So make sure you guys come back, check out the pods. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.